and welcome to the Divine Renovation Podcast. My name is Dan O'Rourke, and along with me today, I've got Father James Mallon. Good morning, Father. Good morning, Dan. And alongside him is none other than Ron Huntley. Hi, Ron. Hi, Dan. Good to see you. So, uh, fair uh, fair excuses up front here. Our audio quality is a little different uh, on this episode because I am actually not local. I find myself out of province. I'm not in studio with Father James and Ron uh, today. I find myself in Montreal doing a slow uh, road trip across Canada from Toronto back to the East Coast. So my apologies to uh, to everyone listening that my audio is not going to sound quite as good as normal. And to you two gentlemen in studio, uh, back at the uh, Divine Renovation Central Worldwide <laughs> Office. <laughs> means I don't have to share my coffee. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a win for both of us, Ron. <laughs> so today we've got a, a wonderful, um, wonderful topic that we wanted to delve into. Uh, we, we titled it Managing Expectations. Father James, why don't you talk a bit about what we mean? Well, I think in everything we do, you know, consciously or otherwise, we have often a set of expectations um, that shape our hopes. And hope is very, very key, you know, when you're trying to lead change within a church, because hope is what will allow you to to have vision and, and enthusiasm. And of course, if you don't have the right expectations or if your expectations are off, you'll get disappointed and you'll get disillusioned and hope will begin to shrink and and that's uh, and and that that's not a good thing because <laughs> uh, church renewal is a game that that takes place over over time you need to be in it for the long haul so we want to we were thinking over this in terms of what are some of the issues when you get started at the work I mean you can be in in parish ministry in, in a particular parish for many years working hard serving doing ministry but in terms of the the, the conscious uh, work of, of renewal um, that's something that can be started at any time and so uh, when you do get started on that what are the areas that that, that you have expectations around and we've we were just thinking about this, and we we've come up with five areas we'd like to touch on this morning. Number one is 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 timeline. What what's a realistic timeline? You know, and what should we expect in the first three years? The second one is is pace. What what is the kind of um, pace that you should have that you should expect when you're when you're trying to do this? Uh, a third one is is mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. Fourth is is pushback. You know, uh, people people want change, but no one wants to change, and there always is that inevitable pushback. And then we we figured we finish on a on a on a on the bright side by talking about what it's all about, and that is that we ought to expect changed lives and the fruit of changed lives. So that's mm-hmm. what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, so there's a lot of really interesting things that we're going to talk about. So the what, the first one you mentioned was timeline. So what exactly did you have in mind when you were thinking well, I think, about first of all, we've we got to remember, go back to the parables of Jesus. You know, when he talked about the, the kingdom of God unfolding, I mean, he says it's like a mustard seed. It's a little tiny seed, and over time, it becomes this big, huge tree that birds have shelter in. He talks about, you know, seed that is planted, and the, the farmer goes to sleep, and he gets up, and it's he doesn't know how it grows, but it grows. But it's so, it's imperceptible. And I think we've got to keep that in mind, that... that this is something that takes time, and often we can go in expecting instant results, instant results. Now, there are things you can do pretty early on that will begin to make an impact, but we've got to remember that it takes time. Um, I can't remember who it was that said it, but it said that most pastors, most church leaders 
overestimate what can be accomplished in one year and underestimate what can be accomplished in three years. And and so it, we're stuck in that in that middle. Like be, our temptation is to overestimate what we can do in in, in one year. Because remember, in addition to doing the work of renewal, you've got to do the regular work of ministry. You know, there's still funerals you have to do. There's weekend masses. There's ministry. There's managing your your parish. There's all the ex all the normal stuff you have to do. And so this does take time. But at the same time, you would be surprised what if you are intentional about this, what can really happen after a three-year period. It can be really, really amazing. So that, that's how I would frame it. And I would say that uh, the key place to begin, if you're either beginning in a parish, brand new as a pastor, or you've been there for a while and you're basically saying, okay, uh, we can't keep going the way we're going, is, is the whole question of vision that really the first year, the primary function, a focus of the first year as pastor is to is to communicate vision. And that presumes that you as a leader have a vision formed and articulated in your own heart. So you're clear about what your own vision is. And we speak about this in, in the book, but that first year really is communicating to uh, your, your stakeholders, in a sense. So your, your staff members, number one staff, to get them on board, uh, your ministry leaders, uh, your pastoral council, and then preaching uh, to begin to, uh, in homilies every two, three weeks, to be talking about what does it mean to be church, what is the nature of the church, and where are we going, and why are we going in this direction, why do we have to change direction, and and and, and really to say that that's the main goal of, of the first year. Now, that doesn't mean that behind the scenes you can't be doing some other mm-hmm. cool stuff. And Ron, what's some of the stuff we can be doing in the first year? Well, it's funny, even as, as you say that, I get really excited because I really believe that in, in the hearts of the people in the pews is a longing to have an impact, is a longing to make a difference. Problem is, we don't know how. But but I believe that longing is there. So even as Father James starts talking like that, I get all excited all over again because it's it's in our hearts. If 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 we've given our life to Christ, we want to make a difference. And so we just need systems and processes to help people do that effectively. And, you know, one of the best ways that we've found is Alpha, yeah. to mobilize laity, uh, to mobilize the evangelized, uh, because it's a, it's a leadership pipeline in and of itself, and it's a tool that people can say, hey, come and see. Uh, dinner and a movie. Come check it out. I think you'll like it. And it's really cool because there's no no commitments attached. So just come as you are, stay as long as you want. And so it's an easy invite. And that's what I believe we need in the church is we need easy invites because Mass isn't always an easy invite if someone has been away from the church. So if I'm hearing you guys right, year one is, is more about uh, setting the groundwork, the foundation for moving forward. You're not going to see tremendous visible gains. The people in the pews aren't going to see tremendous shifts in terms of the way the parish is operating. Uh, but instead, it's more about uh, coming to a collective agreement on, on where we need to be going. Is that yeah, right? I, I think so, because if you don't get this part done, if you don't do this part correctly, uh, it'll it'll make the rest virtually impossible. You've got to, People have got to be won over. People have got to come to a point where they're, they're willing to to move to a different place, which means you know scratching that itch, you know the the people that want to make a difference, is what Ron says. People who are aware that you know their children and grandchildren no longer go go to church and to and to help in a way without condemning the past or the people who were who are who served so 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 well in the past that that basically because society culture has changed so much that this is why we have to change how we do what what we do and uh, and and so. 
you know, before you can do that, I mean, there are other things that you're going to have to address in that first year because, say, for instance, your your parish is not set up that the pastor can preach at all the masses on one weekend, then that's that's a bit of a problem because, you know, preaching on weekend is is, is the the single greatest tool a pastor can use to begin to communicate vision and begin to lay the foundation for future change. And some parishes, that's simply not going to be possible because of the physical reality. So parishes are going to have to be creative around that. Do they do they record a homily? Uh, and not saying you do this all the time, but just for vital messages that need to be given. In other situations, you, we've I know all kinds of parishes that have no need for the mass structure they've got. They they could get rid of half the masses on the schedule and and do quite well and, and create a schedule where the pastor could be at every single mass. And I would say, you know, there's too much at stake not to seriously consider that decision. So there may be things need to be done in advance, but the key thing is to set up so that you can uh, maximize the impact of, of, of communicating vision because people have got to ha- be motivated and have a desire to, to actually do something and to tell people that this is going to be this is going to take time it's not going to all happen overnight right so that brings i think right to uh, to the notion of pace and just what kind of time this is going to take and what pace should we be moving at mm-hmm. i know w- when you consider implementing the culture of alpha as a as a tool to evangelize it's not a bad idea to actually start small and grow it at a pace that will work for the leaders that you'll be able to put in place. Mm -hmm. And so I've done it a couple of different ways in in several different churches. Uh, Here we just blew the doors wide open. Now, Father James and I have both had uh, 10 to 15 years experience each of running that that alpha experience, and so we could pull that off. With that said, we still made our fair share of mistakes. Uh, It was big and it was fun. Uh, But I've also done it in other churches where we started with one table. And we just, with the help of the pastor, said, who are the most contagious people in this church? And we tapped them on the shoulder and invited them to be a part of the Alpha experience with the intent that if they enjoyed it, they'd become part of the team. And so there you can grow from one table to two tables to four tables to eight tables to as big as you want it at a pace that's consistent with your ability to recognize people who should be and have the capacity to be great table hosts. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe by year three, starting your first connect group in terms of that culture. What about uh, running uh, more than one alpha a year? What, what point, Ron, do you think is is ideal for that to actually split? Because that's always a huge thing because it's, a, it's you know, you, you, you get to the point where you're running one alpha fairly well, but it's difficult because, you know, you, you have the come and see and it's like, yes, uh, our next alpha is going to be in uh, 2037, uh, you know. Uh, Stay tuned. Yeah. So it's, you know, you have that, that sense of urgency that we want to try to get another one going as soon as possible. So what, what's the optimal time for that? To be honest with you, I would consider doing two alphas per year right away. Mm. Again, don't do it huge if you're not ready to do it huge. Go at a pace that works for you in terms of growth. But when people finish Alpha, and we're going to get to that in point five, but they want to do it again. They want to provide that experience for other people. And so I wouldn't stop them from doing that. Just grow at a pace that's going to work for your church, your space. Uh, But I would encourage people to do two a year right off the bat. So you want to run them concurrently, Ron, so that people from the first can join in and be hosts in the second and exactly but but you also need to save room for tr- time for training 
and and setting up tables properly. There's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to prepare you for a good launch. And so I have seen uh, just recently a church that finished one alpha and a week later they're into the next one and they didn't even do any team training. So they they take all these guests and make them team people and don't train them and you create a mess. Yeah. And so save yourself some time. And I know for us We'll often start in late September, early October, and finish before Christmas. And then we have a break, and we do the training in January and start Alpha late January, early February. So just to give you a sense of the flow for us, that that seems to work for us. And that's not to say you can't do it a lot faster than that. But save yourself time to uh, train and also to rest some of your key people. No, a key part of our, our whole discipleship and leadership process and what, what's key to our parish model of renewal is, is, is our mid-sized groups that we call connect groups. And connect groups are groups for alpha alumni. And I'm just thinking, Ron, what, at what point did we... I think we started with two or three, did, didn't we? Yeah, we started with four. With four, okay. We yeah. did. And a lot of learnings when we started connect groups... Uh, two of them were for folks that were, I'd say, younger, and two of them were groups that were older. And the two groups that were older lasted, and the other two groups that were younger ended up folding. And the learning for us out of that was, you know, if you want a group of about 25 in a connect group, you need approximately 25 people who are, if they're older in years, because they're committed. Younger people seem to have busier lives and are less able to commit. You need about two or three times that just to get 25 people out. So you need about 50 to 75 people in a connect group for people that are in their 20s and 30s because they have busy lives and they have different levels of commitment based on career and kids. And so it's a big learning for us. But at what point in the rollout uh, do, you see, do you see connect groups coming in? I would encourage that at year three. And the reason I say that, and it sounds crazy because you'll have run four alphas by the time I would encourage you to launch your first connect group, but the alpha culture is the most important piece of this larger picture of maintenance to mission. And if you don't get that flywheel turning at a good pace, then what ends up happening is alpha starts to die and then you start to focus on yourself. Alpha keeps you focused on people who are away from God. And you can never take your hand off that pump, even though you get really excited about catechesis and development and all these other things. They're really important, but they never supersede our need to continue to look for people who are away from God. So, Father James, is there anything else that we need to be considering about pace uh, around the divine renovation? Well, I think, you know, we, we have a, a catchphrase around here that we've been using lately for the last year, and it's that everything we do in ministry ought to be sustainable, scalable, and transferable. And I'll just talk about sustainable. Anyone who's ever gone running, you know, if you're running a marathon, you don't go at a sprint. And uh, I've been guilty of the sprinting uh, marathon thing. And, and, you know, of course, by, by mile number three, you're ready to keel over and die. And, uh, and nobody's those, following you. And no one's following me. The people <laughs> who have been trying to follow me, they, they, they've died a, mi- a mile back. And so that's certainly one of the mistakes that I've kind of learned from and I'm still trying to learn from. Uh, but it is, it, it's, it is a marathon, not a sprint. And so remember that the, the learnings that are outlined in the book, I mean, I was when I wrote the book, was at St. Benedict for, for four years at that point. But there are also the learnings that I've brought from about nine years 
of trying to implement renewal at various other parishes. So, for instance, the whole the whole picture, and people will ask about, you know, there's the Alpha rollout, you know, we've talked about that. There's, you know, when did you change your catechetics program? Well, you know, the first year here we, we did visioning. Uh, the second year we began to have conversations with uh, with the ministry leaders uh, around, around the models and why it wasn't working. And then I preached a specific homily on the model of children's catechetics to say, you know, why we needed to change it, uh, why it's not working. I gave uh, statistics, uh, and then we gave a six-month warning to people as to when we would be changing it. We wrote to parents. So it was by year three before we had uh, introduced this new model. It, it was it was three years. Same with, with what we did for, for marriage, for baptismal prep. Uh, our music ministry change really happened over the course of four years and it's still happening we're still well we're still developing music but but the the real initial change happened after about a year and a half in terms of really uh, focusing on the quality of, of traditional music uh, and and also having uh, good quality contemporary mu- music as well that that our parishioners really hadn't been exposed to either uh, and now it's, it's kind of like a regular part of, of it's, it's just a part of who, who we are now so these things uh, take, take time. Changing the weekend experience, it, it all takes time. And it's like the parable that we, we started reflecting on. When you look back, it's hard to even, the, the, the increments were so small uh, that it's hard to remember when, it, when precisely we actually started. Father James, one of the things I think we've taken for granted around here that's probably worth speaking to, and, and we just inherited it, is this... R- amazing hospitality. We have a culture of hospitality around here I've never seen before, but it was here right from the very beginning when I arrived. I've never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. And in fact, it's usually the one thing that new people notice right away, and we didn't change that. So it's very different than most churches I've been in, because most churches I've been in, boy, the hospitality's really low. (laughs) And so if you don't have a great welcoming hospitality ministry as part of your Sunday experience, boy, put that on your radar really early because it's a game changer. And like I said, I think we take it for granted here because it's so good, but it was always really good when we got here. So quite, you know, to, to sum up, change takes time, and uh, but don't underestimate what can be accomplished in three years. Excellent. So look, a lot of people who uh, have read your book and uh, who've uh, listened to, to these podcasts and or heard you speak, Ron. And I guess a lot of folks probably are, are under the uh, perception that uh, you guys really got it together. But I have a feeling that God's been kind enough to let you make a few mistakes. <laughs> so <laughs> have you guys made any mistakes around sort of timeline, pace, that kind of thing? Oh, we've made, we've made <laughs> lots of mistakes. <laughs> you know, the, the, the thing is that the, to attempt, attempt renewal in the church is to, is to take risks. Yes. To innovate, to do something new means you're going to take risks. I think it's Rick Warren who says that in the, in the, in the life of the church, either you'll be a, a, a caretaker, uh, a risk taker, or an undertaker. <laughs> and uh, if you're going to be a risk taker, you're going to make mistakes. So one of the expectations yes. starting out is that expect that you're going to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And if you do make a mistake, don't get, don't say, oh, my goodness, we failed. Look at this. What a disaster. No, we, we, you're going to make mistakes. But the key thing is when you make mistakes is, is fail quickly. You don't get back up off your feet because you should expect it. Mm. You should expect it. It's going to be two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. And and that means also giving your team, your, your leaders, your staff permission to make mistakes. Because if we create the impression that I expect 100% 
success. No mistakes allowed. You know, there's got we've got to have a culture in our churches where it says, you know, making mistakes is okay as long as we learn from them. It's like <laughs> it's it's like the point of making mistakes is we learn and and we and we go forward. If we the greatest tragedy is not the mistakes we make; it's it's not learning from them. And sometimes too, defining what a mistake is and what a mistake isn't, because when we've implemented some of the changes that we've done here, it's with great thought, it's with great uh, intention. And it's well thought out, and sometimes people leave. That might surprise you. And is that does that mean you've made a mistake? And if you think by having people leave is a mistake, then you're going to retract quickly. People will leave, and we don't want them to leave. It, it hurts us when people leave. We love people. Yet sometimes our values and their values no longer match, and they see a better fit somewhere else. But it doesn't mean the changes that we're implementing – uh, aren't the right thing to do. It may mean the pace of change needs to be considered. It may mean how we implement change needs to be better thought through. And I think we have made some mistakes around that from time to time. I know sometimes things can be very clear in my mind, but I don't tell people the why, and I just go and do it, and and I can start to feel relationships shift, mm. disengagement start to take place, and I'm wondering why, and it's my own blindness sometimes. I, I think too, and when I think back to the first two years here, where, uh, I mean, my big learning was that was how much vision actually leaks. And uh, my mindset was, well, what are you talking about? You don't know where we're going. They say, well, what's good? I said, I told you this six months ago. <laughs> You know, and the fact is, with the staff team, I realize I've got to talk about where we're going and why we're doing what we're doing every single week. I got to talk about it in homilies all the time. And one of my big mistakes was that I just presumed that you got it because I told you last year. <laughs> it was entirely foolish when you think about it. So uh, that's like, you know, if if communicating vision is a key is the foundation of this, what you that's that's a, certainly a mistake that 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 I, that I made. Also, another mistake we made when we first came here, St. Benedict Parish was the amalgamation of three different churches, and so when. I was here for the first ministry season. Everyone was under the roof for the first time. Of course, we had an abundance of ministries because all the different churches brought their particular ministries and no one wanted to let anything go. And so we had tons of stuff already. And then I come and I add an entire layer in in the first two years of, you know, Alpha and all the other discipleship things that, that we were doing. And guess what? We didn't take anything away. We added and added and added and took nothing away. And it goes back to the pace thing. We were we were going, this place was nuts, <laughs> nuts. And uh, people were ready to mutiny. And uh, so that was, that was certainly a mistake. One of the mistakes we made too, Dan, around how we launched Alpha is just around some semantics. And I think we still are reeling from it to some degree because it was – often said, you know, Alpha is a course for beginners, so we encourage you to take Alpha. And you know what? If people have been sitting in those pews for, for 20, 30, 40 years, they're not going to take a course for beginners. They're not beginners. And so by saying Alpha is a course for beginners or it's a great place to start can alienate the majority of the people in the pews. And it almost creates, a, oh, you're one of those people that need Alpha. <laughs> it's like, oh, shoot. So we've, we have we actually beat each other up if we hear that word being yeah, said it, now. It, <laughs> it, 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 it took me a while because I would often say this if I always and Ron, but afterwards say, oh, Father James, you know, like he, you know, so it, it, took, it took us a while. You know, vocabulary is really, really important. I, I, I Just one final funny story. I remember when my first six months here, I, our, our music at St. Benedict was kind of, 
universally bland and blah. It was it was all the music at all the masses sounded the same, and I wanted to I wanted to increase the quality of both. Uh, have a, a very strong expression of contemporary music and a strong expression of traditional sacred music. And uh, we we had a couple of weekends where we we brought in uh, bands from other par- from my previous parish because we had music going at my last parish, and uh, we did it on one weekend. We did two weekends. The first week- <laughs> the first weekend was went really well, and uh, people loved it. Uh, and uh, and then the second weekend, I had the Life Team band from my previous parish come in, and. Uh, Unbeknownst to me that this was at the Saturday afternoon mass, they they did a sound check at three thirty. Now Saturday afternoon mass is a lot of seniors, and they all come to pray. So they're doing a sound check, you know, check check, you know, hitting the drums and electric guitar. And literally, I had little old ladies fleeing the building with their hands over their ears, just saying, "I can't. This is too loud. I I, I can't take this." And uh, that was a big mistake. A big mistake. I don't recommend sound checks half an hour before mass, especially, at the, uh, the, Saturday. especially the Saturday afternoon mass. That wasn't that wasn't good. So there's ways to do things and ways not to do things. So, but the key thing is is don't be afraid of mistake making mistakes. Have a culture where we give each other permission. Because if we're terrified of making mistakes, you're never going to get out of the gate. So true. Because. To, to attempt the task of renewal will mean you will make mistakes. But look, guys, you're talking about two things here. You're talking about the uh, sort of a long horizon here. It's a marathon. And you're talking about you know, the mistakes you're going to make because people are all going to make mistakes. Surely this is going to lead to the pushback, right? Pushback from staff, pushback from par- parishioners. How do, we, how do we manage pushback? And what is, how does pushback even manifest? Well, well, I think the first thing is, again, around the context of expectations, is expect pushback. And I just blame it on Father James, so it's easy <laughs> for me. I don't, how do you deal with it? <laughs> I blame it on Pope Francis. I say, well, I'm sorry, this is what Pope Francis is asking. I, and, the, and the bishop, you know, I just blame it on those guys. I'm just, I'm just doing what I'm told. He blames it on Jesus? I don't know. <laughs> but, but I think that, you know, the interesting thing is, when you, when you communicate vision, and if you do it well, everyone, no one will say, I don't want to be a healthy church. I don't I don't want our church to be a place where everyone's welcome and everyone's loved. I don't want our church to be a place where people grow close to God and have their lives changed. I don't want to belong to a church that goes out and serves people. Everyone wants to change, but then eventually it means people are going to have to change. And that's when you get pushback. It's unbelievable. People realize it means that you mean I have to change what I do? Like I might, you know, for instance, one of the first things a parish may have to deal with is is the issue of, of mass times or infrastructure. If you're in a church that is, you know, spending 60, 70 percent of your resources keeping buildings open that you don't need to have open, that's a big decision you're going to have to make. As soon as you make a decision like that, which in one sense is, is a is a very light decision in terms of the serious matters of the of the mission of the church. It's those things around mass times and buildings that that are the primary concern of most of our parishioners, and that's when you will begin to get pushback. So I would say that there's a couple of different uh, levels of 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 pushback. There's pushback that you will experience sometimes in your staff team, uh, pushback from from key leaders, uh, lay leaders within the parish, and then from the the average parishioner. Uh, and all will happen, and you ought to expect them. Yeah, absolutely. And I find one of the things that's really important, and I think you've done a great job here, Father James, is is to 
continually pitch vision at the staff level because we need to know the whys. We need a place where we can ask questions and disagree and ask for clarity so that we can be crystal clear because we are on the front lines and we need to have each other's back. And so we run into all very often people that don't understand and don't want to change or or are just struggling with the whys. And we all need to be able to speak with the same voice and vision that Father James has. And unless he takes the time to continually pour into us his where we're going and why we're going there, we won't be able to have those discussions to win people over because it's not just Father James' job to win people over on Sunday from, from you know during his homily. That happens all week long. That happens in everything we do. So the more vision carriers we have, yeah. the more intentional we are. And I think one of the things we do around here is a, a leadership summit with all of our ministry leaders, and we do that three times a year. And it's a great opportunity to pour into the most influential people in our church, the whys and That's the right. wares and the hows. Yeah. And also, what, once a month, we have an all-staff meeting. Generally, our staff team is, is, is big enough that we, we break our staff into, into three teams. We have a pastoral team, an operations team, and a, and a clergy team. But once a month, we get together, and the primary focus of that gathering is vision. Uh, and, to, and, to, and to have a reflection on, on, on vision. But thinking back to, you know, when you start out, um, it's not uncommon that, that if you have, say, more than five staff, that probably at least one of those staff members is, is probably going to struggle with, with this whole thing, with this whole change of direction. Because uh, remember, when you clarify vision, vision is about where are we going? What direction are we headed in? Perhaps a church has been headed, pointed in a different direction, or perhaps it hasn't been pointed in any direction. Perhaps it's been directionless, which sadly is, you know, if a church is in maintenance mode, it generally is not planning to go anywhere. But as soon as you clarify where you're going, as they say, put put the sign on the bus, it's like anything. If you've ever found yourself on the wrong bus or the wrong side, somebody, you realize, wait a minute, I'm, I don't want to be going in this direction. There's going to be people that that, that will happen. Now, here's the thing, uh, especially if you've inherited staff, um, there are there are two types of staff members that that might be uh, not entirely on board. So there'll be staff members who will openly oppose. There'll be staff members who will kind of passively oppose and and do their best perhaps, but deep down in their hearts, they're just not there. They're, they're just not get, getting it. And the question then is is to give a period of time. You've got to work it out. You can't just come in and say, well, you're you're not enthusiastic about where we're going. I mean, they might be willing to work towards it, but they're not enthusiastic. And if, if, if they haven't owned it, it it's not good. Um, but you've got to give it time to, to see those those folks won over. And one of the things we did anytime I, I came back from being away, I, I give talks to the staff or I'd, I'd bring I'd have books and have all the staff read the books and we do a lot of work around vision as sending staff members to conferences to see if they could catch the bug and I think after a period of time and if you're talking I'm talking you know three years or so because I think we owe it to invest uh, unless a staff member is, is like a really destructive uh, presence because remember if there's two visions you've got division that's what division means it means two visions huh. you're going two different directions it's like a you know a um a canoeing to you know a racing team where people are rowing in two different directions so you're, you're going to capsize the boat at that point it it may be time for a difficult conversation and i refer people back to our earlier podcast on having difficult conversations it may be a time to invite that that, that staff member to perhaps uh, get on a different bus and that goes for ministry leaders too uh, and when there's a change of vision and a change of direction 
it might not be in keeping with somebody's experience or their their expectations of what it means to be church, and that's okay. But it does mean those difficult conversations, but at every level, because remember, we all have influence, and some of us have different degrees of influence. And so if the influence that people have is being used to undermine the pastor and the direction that he's taking the parish, that's not acceptable. So you need to work with that, and there might be an a natural time to adjourn, to move them off of that space and bring somebody else in line or, or in that position who is in line with the pastor's vision and where it's going. That is so important. You cannot go in two different directions. Yeah. And if people have influence, we must make sure their influence is in union with the pastor and the direction of the church. I think uh, this this topic of pushback is, is a huge topic, and I think it probably merits its own podcast at some uh, distant or near future, uh, because what often happens is good, good, well-meaning pastors and leadership teams, as soon as they experience feedback, they, they put the brakes on mm. and they stop. And often... If, pushback from, from key people in the parish can, can really derail things as if somehow, oh my goodness, we didn't expect this. Well, what we're saying this morning is expect it. You will, because as soon as you change something, you'll get pushback. It doesn't matter what it is. You will get pushback. You've got to expect it. Uh, you'll get pushback from, from staff. You'll get pushback from, from parishioners. You know, you'll get letters. You'll get emails. You'll get the dreaded anonymous letter where, you know, so-and-so claims to be speaking on behalf of 90% of the population. Um, you'll, there'll be nasty things that, that, that will be said because this is a, it's a real spiritual war. It really is because there's a lot at stake if the church can be renewed. Um, Ron talked about parishioners leaving. And I think, you know, every church that we've talked to, Catholic and non-Catholic, that have underwent a process of renewal have actually lost significant portion of members. People have left. And I tell you right now, here at St. Benedict over these five years, we've lost a lot of parishioners. We've lost a lot of, a lot of people left. And sometimes your overall numbers will drop. But guess what? Your overall numbers of disciples goes up, it doubles. Uh, your giving goes up. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. So here's the thing. What are we about? Are, are we, what's our primary goal? Is it to make disciples of Jesus Christ and equip them for ministry so that they become, as Pope Francis has, missionary disciples? Or is it just to maximize the, the, the number of people who sit in our pews on, on the weekend? Uh, so we say, even when people leave, don't be alarmed. If you set up a culture of discipleship where it begins to grow from the grassroots, people who are, who are absolutely not interested in this will no longer feel comfortable. Do you, let, do you let your staff know? Like, so I guess because there's a couple different levels that we're talking about around pushback. And you're talking about, you know, parishioners are likely to leave. You're going to lose some people. They're going to move to a different place and you'll get new people. But do you, do you, are you open with this about like your senior team? Like, do they know that this is part of the transition? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I have to manage that on, on my team. Particularly, I can only speak on behalf of my team because I, I look after the pastoral uh, leadership team which includes family, faith, uh, youth, evangelization, uh, music. Uh, and what happens, I have several people on my staff who have empathy as one of their strength themes, which is great because they have a sensitivity to what's going on and how it impacts people far beyond myself and Father James. And so they're like uh, the canary in the coal mine for me. And so they help me see things that I otherwise don't see because I'm so focused on goals. But it's really hard on them and so I do have to unpack that with them from time to time as we have difficult conversations with people, as we sometimes can't adjust in a direction that would make a particular person 
completely happy. And and so it is something that we manage as a staff. So there's a pastoral component of that in terms of in, in leadership as a staff that I find I have to speak into from time to time. Yeah. And, and in the end, though, I said, you know, it it's our goal is, is change lives. And that really, you know, is another one of the expectations, isn't it? That if you do this, you know, it, it can sound negative. It's like, oh, my goodness, all this work and mistakes and pushback and complaints. People oh, leaving. boy, people leaving. What's that? <laughs> Why I think, would I want to do uh, that? Let's, let's, just, let's just be a maintenance church <laughs> or let's just continue to manage decline, you know. But the heart of it is if you undertake the great adventure of, of renewal of church, you must expect changed lives because people's lives will be transformed. People will come to encounter Jesus Christ. They will they will surrender to him as Lord. They will begin a, a walk of faith that, that is new, whether they've been lifelong church scores or, or not. And and Ron, what what else happens? What <laughs> what what kind of what kind of what do we see in changed lives? Well here's what we're seeing. And here's the thing if you're gonna make change and and I want to be accountable to the people in our parish, if we're not seeing fruit from the changes we're making, then nail me to the cross because the only reason we're making these changes is so we can make a difference. And we do see changed life. So here's some of the fruit that we're seeing around here that I want to speak into that I think is really encouraging. People start pr- are praying differently around here. They're not saying prayers. They're praying from their heart in ways that they didn't know were possible. People are picking up their Bible uh, again and dusting it off or maybe buying one for the first time and they're diving into Scripture, which as you know, doesn't happen a lot in the Catholic world. Uh, they want to be around other Christians. Before, people had their friends, and then they'd come to church on Sunday and leave again. They yeah. didn't have friends at the church. Yeah, they, they, they know that they need Christian, they need vibrant community like to, to, to continue to live that kind of Christian life. Yeah, they get committed to being a Christian and know they can't do it alone. The other thing is they want to learn about their faith. All of a sudden, they go from coming to Mass to, I want to understand, I want to learn more. They get hungry. Mass comes alive. You know, people that feel like they've been going through the motions for years fall in love with the beauty of the Catholic liturgy, which is so cool. People have a desire to serve. A lot of times I hear people say, well, we couldn't do that because we don't have enough volunteers. We're we're burning everybody Mm. out. Actually, that's the reason you need to change. Because what I get over and over again as people wrap up an alpha season is, what do, what do you want me to do, Ron? I'll do anything. Yes. It's that attitude of, listen, I'm all in. You use me wherever you want to use me. And a lot of churches don't have that problem. <laughs> and then people start to give in, in a way that's uh, percentage-wise and sacrificial. And we see giving really start to increase, too. Wouldn't yeah. you say, Father? Oh, uh, for, for, absolutely. You know, I, I said earlier about people leaving and numbers dropping a little bit here. But, uh, you know, our give in five years, our giving has doubled. Is, is, is doubled, it's a 100% increase uh, with our overall numbers down slightly. And there's different reasons why people have uh, left, but a lot of people have, have come on board. And so these these changes are, are beautiful. And I think that expecting changed lives, expecting this kind of fruit is, is certainly an element of culture uh, because culture is a, the things that you presume. And one of the things I think we've that we we've moved forward on here is that we do in a sense expect it and but you've got to be always intentional about celebrating it as well. Yes. So there's a couple of ways in which we celebrate changed lives. Uh, we we often a number of times a year will feature testimonies at, at mass, um, and people will talk about uh, the impact um, 
the the the, the, the impact on 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 their lives. The other time is our monthly magazine. Uh, we always feature testimonies. We we in fact we say you know if you want an announcement about your ministry or whatever you've got to you got to place it within the context of a story or a testimony about ministry or a changed life. And so even the, this month's magazine I read it last week it was filled with testimonies beautiful testimonies that are so inspiring and then anytime our ministry leaders have been trained to if they're doing a program ministry and there's a testimony we always invite people to write it down write it down and uh, lastly when we have our monthly all staff meeting we we take a turn we go around the table and everyone is invited to share a story like a win story that 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 demonstrates our, that we're moving towards the realization of our vision. Uh, and the story can't be abstract. It's got to have a name or a face. It's going to be about people. And it's about people, you know, coming to know the Lord, experiencing conversion, entering into ministry, being equipped for, for ministry, all of these things. And so uh, change lives is what it's about. That's, mm-hmm. that's why we're here. It's interesting. At one point, I remember we had a vibrant community going because Alpha had really became a part of the culture of the church I belonged to in uh, New Brunswick. And years later, I ran into this lady who she came to faith through Alpha and the vibrancy of the church. Her husband came to faith and then he brought like nine people and it was amazing. And I ran into her years and years later in Newfoundland of all places coming out of a grocery store. I was on my way in uh, and... I didn't remember her name, and she didn't remember mine, but we remembered each other's faces and hugged immediately. It was beautiful. And then she looked at me, and she said, Ron, I've never found another church that has the life and the faith of that one, and we've been really sad because now my kids aren't interested, and my husband's waning. And my heart broke. And the reason I tell you that story is because there's another story. Uh, From here, we have a a friend of ours that came to faith named Johnny B. And Johnny B. came to faith. He's a grandfather. And he was so transformed through the culture that we have here and the Alpha experience that his daughter and son-in-law eventually said, man, there must be something to this. After hearing all the witnesses at Mass, they too came on the Alpha had an amazing transformational experience. Their kids had an amazing transformational experience. And then the worst thing possible happened. They got transferred to Toronto. (laughs) (laughs) But what was so cool is Father James missioned them to go and take this culture to their next parish. And it wasn't easy. They had to have several conversations with different priests in different parishes to find a place where they could land that would be open to renewal. But boy, once they did... Guess what they started doing? They started running Alpha, and they the kids started uh, heading up their own Youth Alpha, and now that that pastor's coming to visit here soon, and yeah. it's just incredible. Well, the point is that change lives change lives, yeah. and it sets off a, a chain reaction, and that's what we want. We want to see through our ministry raising up an army of missionary disciples. To the pastors listening in, it's not something you have to be afraid of in the long run. Uh, it's it, it, it's in the short run it's work, but in the long run it it will it will mean less work. It really will because it will it will not be clergy centric anymore. And you've got people taking ownership and responsibility. I mean, to be honest, most of the days I just sit in my office with my feet up on my desk. It's great. It's wonderful. <laughs> if you believe that, <laughs> yeah, we know you believe that. <laughs> Jesus said, "The Son of Man came that you may have life and have it to the full." And that's what it's about. It's not about simply attendance or driving up numbers in a weekend. We want to see transformed lives. We want to make disciples. And we've got to put our, our 
we gotta we gotta d- double down on that. That that is the, the Lord's desire for the church because that it is is by achieving that goal that everything else uh, is is fulfilled. It's by making disciples that we will be able to baptize and to teach and to make an impact on this world. So these are the five expectations. You know, to to have a reasonable timeline to remember your pace. It's a marathon, not a sprint. To know that you're going to make mistakes and that you're going to get pushback. But lastly, and most importantly. Expect the fruit, the good fruit of changed lives. Amen. Beautiful way to end. Uh, so if people want uh, more of you, Ron, where, where would they look for you online? And okay, well, I'm going to give them a different Twitter account this time because I changed my Twitter handle to make it easier to find. So it's Ron underscore Huntley. So you can find me at on Twitter at Ron underscore Huntley. Brilliant. And Father James, if they're looking for more Father James, I assume they can buy the book, Divine Renovation. And where uh, I'm on Twitter at, at FJ Mallon, and uh, remember uh, DivineRenovation.net. We've also got a Divine Renovation conference uh, planned for June 13th and 14th, 2016. There's a lot of cool stuff brewing around that, and uh, we should have our website up by mid-October with registration open, and so lots more uh, coming. That's going to be an amazing gathering. We've got interest from all around the world. So please pray for that if you're listening. Please pray, and uh, you're most welcome to uh, to join us. It'd be great to see you. Thank you to everyone who joined us and listened to this podcast and for your continued interest in all things Divine Renovation. And we hope that the uh, things we're talking about, the things you're reading about, are helping you implement your own Divine Renovation in your home parishes around the world. Goodbye. (laughs) 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 Yeah, <laughs> yeah.